I'm thrilled to be here and uh, it's my very first podcast experience. So. I can't believe it's your very first podcast experience. I really want to make it a good time. That's that's my goal. So many, so many, so many damn books. Hi, my name is Christopher and welcome to So Many Damn Books, a blessing, a curse, a podcast. I'm hanging out in the Zoom version of the damn library with Kirsten Bacchus. Kirsten Bacchus is the author of the novel Lives of the Monster Dogs, which was released in a 20th anniversary edition in 2017. She's the recipient of a bunch of awards, including a Whiting Award, and she's been a faculty member of the Yale Writers Workshop since 2012. She's here to discuss her stunning new novel, King Nix. It's out on February 27th. Get your pre-orders in, or if you're listening to this after the 27th, just go buy it. And Kirsten, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. In in the goal of having a good time, I made a drink inspired by the book. So the novel is King Nick's. It's a it's kind of about um private mythologies clashing, I would say. It's one of the main things that's going on in the book. And one of my favorite of the private mythologies is um, Anna's imaginary friend, the titular uh, King Nix, who is first inhabiting a tin bird toy of hers. So I was thinking about this bird and the bird on the cover and just like there's so many birds within this book that I went back to one of my favorite things. Longtime listeners of the show will know that I love a jam cocktail. I think that they're, they're just really fun and a lot of people already have like a fun jam in their fridge. But this one I was thinking specifically about Fruits of the Forest, which is a Bon Maman flavor, or I think a bunch of different jam companies make one. And it's because it's made of like four berries that birds love. <laughs> oh, I love that. So it's strawberry, raspberry, cherries, and red currants, which are just like birds' favorite berries. And then I, I used a rye whiskey to sort of build the drink around because it's got rye, I think, has sort of this inner darkness. And then Rather than just going with a straightforward, simple syrup, flavoring it with some black tea, I think, first of all, it gives it a nice, it darkens the drink a little bit, which, you know, I kind of wanted to get a little bit of a darker color onto it. And uh, then the lemon balances out the sweetness. And so I've called it um, an offer to the bird king. And so I think you made one too. It looks incredible. Yes. And this is another first for me. I have never made a proper cocktail before. So thank you for giving me that opportunity. Oh my God. Okay. It's well, cheers. Cheers. Let's see how this is. All right. Oh, it's lovely. That is a nice mix of flavors. That's that's really nice. Oh, I'm so glad you think so. I I as soon as I was thinking, like, what do birds eat? Um, and moved away from, you know, all of the carnivore things they do. Berries. It's a lovely way to um drink a cocktail so that is an offer to the bird king um and we are about to talk about king nicks but before we get there it's one of our everybody's favorite segments it's what did you buy kirsten have you bought any cool books or anything interesting recently 
Um, well, you you said I could be something that I got rather than bought, so I'm going to go with mm -hmm. bought with got. Um, and I uh, so I just want to just quickly mention three books that I got. They're they're on my to read pile, so I haven't read them yet. But I was recently at um, the American Booksellers Association Winter Institute, and in, which was in Cincinnati. So all the independent booksellers get together from all over the country and do things together, and they let some authors go. So. I was really fortunate to then that for one event, they turn everybody loose in a big room and we sign books. And so my table for signing books was next to um, Lydia Millet Ooh. and Claire Massoud. So two amazing writers oh I had never met and I was blown away to be next to them. And um, so I, I got, um, I got arcs of their forthcoming books. So Lydia Millet's is called uh, we loved it all. And it's um, it's a nonfiction. It's sort of a collection mm. of essays. Um, so it's a little different from uh, the novels that she usually writes. And um, it's supposed to be just incredible. So she, she's very, it's personal, but she's also very concerned with, uh, with the environment, mm -hmm. with uh, climate change and fighting climate change. And so I think that's woven into the essays as well um so that's one thing that's awesome and, i hope it keeps some of her zaniness because she's she's a pretty zany writer as well yeah right i i suspect it does yeah, yeah. I, I feel like she can't get away from it so that's right you know, that's, yeah. that her that um sensibility on climate change will be nice to, to read for sure right it's right that leavens it um like i i recently i read like the, the children's bible her book her novel called the children's bible in preparation for meeting her and it was a perfect combination of zaniness oh. and just terrifying, basically like reality. So that was really interesting. Um, and Claire Massoud's book, um, her forthcoming book is called The Strange Eventful History. Ooh. And this is a novel, but it's um, inspired by her own family history um, of uh, French ancestry, people who were living in Algeria. Anyway, so I, it's, it's inspired by that and I'm expecting it to be amazing. Yeah. And then the last one is a, an author I had not heard of. She was sitting on the other side of me. She's being published by Tor and um, her book looks really great. Um, her name is Madeline Ashby and her book is called Glass Houses Ooh. and it's set. It's a thriller set in the near future um, and just very dramatic. Like it, throws you I, I started reading it while I while we were waiting for the booksellers to come into the room and it starts off it feels good to wash the blood off her hands that's the first Ooh, sentence nice it so it's right. a bloody book yeah uh, <laughs> even in the future we're still spilling blood Darn. yeah well um I got a couple of really fun things someone sent me this novella in the mail from this little Canadian press called end of the line press and uh, they feature trans, non-binary, and two-spirit authors. And this novel, novella is um, is called Pretend by Ariel Bergdorf. And it's about a young translator from Montreal whose identity is in flux with their name as well. So you're following as the name changes, as they change themselves seems like a very interesting story and just just a couple flips through the language is really really interesting and um, I also would just like reading about translators like a translator as the main character is always really fun um, yeah I, I loved Ways to Disappear 
by Idra Novi, which is also about a translator. I feel like it's just a cool mind to be in. So I'm really excited to check that out. And then this book is coming out in April called Dogland from Avid Reader Press. And it's um, nonfiction. And it's about the Westminster Dog Show, about the behind the scenes. Um, and it's it's reporting. And the, the, the subtitle is Passion, Glory, and Lots of Slobber at the Westminster <laughs> Dog Show. So I'm really excited to see a sort of like, because it seems like a crazy pageantry. And of course, I loved best in show you know the the movie about the dog world um but that was a comedy and this is real so we'll see that mockumentary is probably more accurate than people might think but um, (laughs) i'm really excited to to see this world those sound great let's talk about your new novel your first novel in a long time, King Nix. Will you tell our listeners uh, what King Nix is basically about? Sure. Um, so it's it takes place in 1918, and um, the main character is is Anna Fort, who is married to Charles Fort. Charles Fort was a real person who some people know about. He sort of has a cult following. Some people know about him and they get really excited when they hear about him. And most people don't have never heard of him because he was just this obscure kind of weird guy. His whole thing was that he collected in real life, the real Charles Fort and and the one in the book, collected um, accounts of anomalies such as weather anomalies, such as rains of blood and fish and that kind of thing, um, and put them into a book. So in the book, he's he hasn't, been able to finish his his book that he's working on in my novel and he ha- he gets a surprise opportunity to spend the winter at the estate of a wealthy man he's never met before so that he can finish his book so he goes so anna goes with him to this island it's it's in the thousand islands which is up at the top of new york state and a lot of millionaires used to hang out there and they would have like one giant mansion on a tiny little island so they go up there, but it's winter and, and it's deserted. And um, so basically that's the setting. And But once they get there, things get stranger and stranger. And ma- the main thing for Anna is that she learns that there's a school to train servants on the island and three girls have gone missing from it. And the police refuse to investigate. And Anna very much wants to find out what happened to those girls and help them if she can. All kinds of strange things ensue after that. Absolutely they do. Uh, And it's one of my favorite things because it's sort of like a sideways story in that like you probably have, um, people might have heard of Charles Fort and they might know his book because it's like this landmark publication of the paranormal or early understanding of, of things. But that's not about him, you know, like at all. <laughs> like he's off, off stage. Basically, most of the book is really Anna's story. And I, I would just want I wanted to know, how did you come to this story? How did you meet Anna? And, and what made you decide to sort of move aside from Charles and look into her mind? Yeah, thank you for asking that. Um, so I, I think I have an essay coming out in Lit Hub. I don't know when I have to see when it's coming out, but that, that talks about that. Um, but I, I've thought a lot about that. So, right. You would think I, I initially thought I wanted to write about Charles cause he's such an interesting figure, but as I 
thought more about it, I became more interested in what it must have felt like to be married to him, to be part <laughs> of his life, and uh, to uh, b basically... Okay, so one thing that really interested me is that I was reading a biography of Charles and he was friends with Theodore Dreiser, who at the time uh, that, that my novel is set in 1918 was a big deal. He was like very famous. I kind of find him unreadable, but he <laughs> was like a really big deal. And um, for some reason, Theodore Dreiser just thought Charles was a genius. Mm -hmm. And um, so basically, nobody wanted to publish Charles. His books were too weird. But Theodore Dreiser essentially blackmailed his publisher, not blackmailed. Um, anyway, he said he would leave his publisher if they didn't publish the book. So that's, that's how kind of black. That's kind of black. Yeah, I guess that's blackmail. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, that's all by way of explaining that. Um, Theodore Dreiser's papers are one source of what we know about Charles and, and Anna. And so I was reading a biography of Charles and I saw the first time Theodore Dreiser went and had dinner with them. He described Charles just sitting there silently. Um, and in, in Dreiser's mind, this was because he was thinking big thoughts. So he just couldn't say them. Well, Anna just chattered away about nothing. And he the, the thing he said about Anna was, this woman cannot think, she just oh. feels. And that was basically all he said about her, right? And right, it was really like, um, it really hit me. Like, it's pretty uh, mean. <laughs> it was mean. And it was also because when I looked at the context and I pictured that scene, I like, there's a lot of context right like basically anna was anna did everything she cleaned the apartment she cooked the dinner she made it like the first time dreiser came by the apartment was disgusting because anna was away working in a hotel laundry um and this this is in the book too uh where she had to board because it was like 16 hour days and she was supporting charles so they could write and um so the apartment was filthy and Charles was filthy and there was food all over him. And like, you know, so, so Charles said, come back when Anna can make you dinner. So Dreiser came, <laughs> oh really God. happened. And so Dreiser came back. The apartment was scrubbed clean, candles in the windows, dinner on the stove, Charles in a clean shirt. Right. And Charles just sat there saying nothing. So of course she has to do something. That's why she was quote unquote chattering because she understood that this man was important to his career. No one was going to publish. No one was going to be her champion and get her book published. Mm -hmm. She had to participate in her husband's. Right. Name. And so I basically think she was carrying, you know, not everything, including the conversation. And Charles was tongue tied. I think he probably was like neurodivergent. I'm thinking sure. which I have lots of neurodivergence in my family. And um, so I think he wasn't, you know, it was hard for him to, to socialize sometimes. So I think she was really just carrying it for him. Right. But Dreiser, the note he left for history was just, this woman is an idiot, you know? <laughs> so, 
so anyway, that's, sorry, that was a long, that was a long explanation, but no, that, it's a, that, and it's a great one because it's, it, this gives her justice, you know, for right. sure. One of my very sort of favorite things is that it's their, their relationship is based on this one paranormal thing that happened to her that he's right. just, he believes her immediately and says, yes, that I, I think that happened. I think that it is part of the things I'm studying and like, I understand you. And, you know, that, and that sort of is at the center also of this book is, is that sort of connection. Yeah. Thanks for mentioning that too. Cause I feel like even though it's a story of kind of like, uh, Anna got screwed out of getting to have her own life. I really think they loved each other. They, they, both of them genuinely loved each other a lot and tried to, to do that. So this, even though the thing about the blood is something I made up, I, I hoped to express that they did have like that connection, like you yeah, said. Yeah, well, and there's also they've got another couple on the island that another couple that's been brought by this millionaire, um, who is sort of their like bizarro versions. Like they're just like they're trying to figure them out. They don't understand them as a couple, um, and yeah, you sort of get the idea like, oh, actually, Charles, Charles and Anna are like basically fine like they're all they're almost like this is like they're deeply in love in the in you know the strictures of the of the era anyway right it struck me while i was reading this and also it sort of reminded me of monster dogs in that you just have this trust in your reader because in this book in in king nick's the atmosphere and the gothic atmosphere is building for so long and, and you really don't know what is happening for more than half the book there's just many pieces and it all comes together but it's it's slow burn and then monster dogs has crazy things that you're pulling from to build this sort of frankenstein frankenstein's story um but it means that you just have this confidence in your readers because you just in, you put that on the page and you're like accept that reality great like moving along and I just love this confidence. How do, how does um how did you know that people would follow you, or how do you build that that confidence in your readership? That's a good question. I think that um, well, my process was really different with Monster Dogs. Like with Monster Dogs, I didn't know what I was doing. Like I was in my twenties, and I I mean. It took me seven years to write it. It's not like I just accidentally wrote it. But at the same time, I really didn't know what I was doing. Like, I was really just following, like, some distant melody into some weird forest. And I was just just getting it to something that felt right to me, like something that I would follow. And then I hoped the readers would follow it, too. But I can't really say how I knew. It was just, but I cast I cast around for a long time. Like, is it this? No. Is it this? No. This, this is what I think it is. But it was like, it was like following a voice or something more than like making a conscious uh, decision. Did that happen again for King Nix or was it? Yeah, King Nix was really different because I think... I lost touch with that voice, which is actually kind of what the book is about also, because Anna loses touch with the voice of King Nix, who's kind of her, uh, that's kind of her inner voice. And Right. But it's, I mean, it's scary. I mean, you're, yeah. it, it, it's horror movie. Um, you know, there's some horror movie tropes to it that her, so you don't know if she's, 
inspired or haunted? Right. Absolutely. And she doesn't know either. And I guess I won't say too much more about it because I don't want to spoil where the voice is go going, but right. It's definitely, there's horror stuff in there. Yeah. I don't know. I think with, with the second book, because I didn't have the voice as readily available to me to, to follow, just like Anna doesn't have her inner voice at the start of King Nick's, um, I, I, I did think a lot more consciously about what I was doing. Like I thought a lot about the plot and how to put it together. And I studied other people's plots and like suspense. I thought about suspense and how to make that work and how to keep people interested. Um, I mean, ultimately I, I think you, I think I still always write by, by following that voice somehow, mm -hmm. but it was harder to hear it this time. It seems like, the first time you were just getting to follow the voice and the second time you had to remember how to go looking for the voice first every time. Yes. Maybe. And I yes. feel like that's a little bit on the page, but not in like a, it's much more of a, that's how you keep finding all these building atmosphere moments where it's another strange corner of the house or another bizarre detail about uh, one of my favorites. It's early on is this, um, bespoke uh, basically like the nicest picnic box you've ever had which you know it like does a magician's reveal of flowers and things like that that I'm just like that's the type of thing I, I love I love a really good picnic box in general you know in all facets of life so seeing one so lovingly rendered on the page is also really nice so it's not all gothic sometimes they get a really nice hot meal from a suitcase randomly <laughs> <laughs> which is great but you're so good with architecture I mean again I, I was thinking about monster dogs and this because monster dogs has that enormous white castle they make and 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 it's, it's the scene of so many, so much of the novel's climax and in this this is that crazy house can you talk about building yeah I guess I I guess those things fascinate me and the um like this, the space and the objects in the space almost seem alive to me. Like when I'm picturing a scene in a book, like they almost seem like, like the house in, in King Nick's almost seems like a character to me in a weird way. And like the greenhouses. So I think that's one reason I spend time rendering that stuff is because it just fascinates me and it mm -hmm. feels like alive to me somehow. Um, and also I just... Like, I'm obsessed with being able to buy a house, which like I rent and I'm a single mom with two kids. And I, like, how am I ever going to buy a house? So the idea of having this huge, just endless house was really a fun to get lost in that, you know. That is very familiar to me as a, as a New York renter. I yep. <laughs> yeah. I fully understand, you know, in your fantasy life, like, why don't if they have the biggest house on an enormous island? Why not? Right, exactly. <laughs> Birds feature heavily in this as well. I mean, it's not just the ten bird, uh, and it's not just the King Nix, but it's her birds. She has birds that she's brought along with her that she's very worried about. Um, is this an, something that you discovered about Anna in your notes, or is this your own love of birds? Oh yeah, that's interesting. Um, there was one 
when when I was searching for information about her early on, there was one source, I can't actually remember where it was, but it had one sentence about her and it was it was that she enjoyed the cinema and she kept parakeets. So that was like all I knew about her. And um so that that's what that I just took that and ran with it. Like she didn't actually have I think in the book she has 23 of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, 21 or 23. But um and she has two that she brings to the island with her, but uh, in real life she just had two. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, but I also I have chickens. I have pet chickens, so uh, I like birds. It has been a long time between books. Um, Twenty-seven years is the is the amount I'm seeing thrown around here. Uh, what what feels different publishing now than it did 27 years ago of, of what you remember of that publishing process. Um, like the process itself, like how, how the, or just, yeah, just anything that you recognize as different or, or that you're sort of comparing um, because I just feel like there, the publishing world has changed so much in that time, but I yeah. wonder, does it actually feel that different as, as you're bringing a book out? So I think the, first time I was kind of overwhelmed. I was 30 years old and I, I really like all I ever wanted was to be a writer. Like I was ready to give up anything in my life to be a writer. Like that's what I wanted. So I wanted my book to be successful, but I was not expecting it to be as successful as it was, which, which wasn't like movie star successful or anything, but it was, you know, um, so I was really overwhelmed. So in a way, I didn't see a lot of the publishing process. Like people would tell me about things and I would just like not, I couldn't take it in, you know, mm-hmm. I was just like, um, so there was a lot that I didn't know about um, what was going on in publishing. Um, and this time, you know, I did some interviews and stuff like that, but it was kind of scary to me. It was like, why does somebody want to talk to me? Like, I'm just some kid who like, lives in the city and worries about paying my rent. And I don't know, like, um, so, so a lot of the publishing stuff, I just didn't really process it. Like I just mm-hmm. know what was going on this time. I promised myself um, that I would just say yes to everything. And I would just be like, this is, this is like, this is my job. Like it's my job to just have fun with this stuff. And um so I'm I'm able to see a lot more of what's going on. So that's been interesting. Like meeting booksellers last week in Cincinnati was incredible. Like seeing how things work on that end. Um, and obviously social media makes everything different, but I love that. I feel like it makes everything more intimate. Like you can connect with everybody and you can, you know, find out about people's lives before you meet them, you know, just like, you know, if somebody wants to interview me or like you, you know, I can like follow, find your Instagram and just say, oh, that's what your life looks like. Okay. You're, you're a person. Then it's not as scary to me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I don't know if that, re- that doesn't really answer the question about how publishing is different, but it's definitely <laughs> different for me. Absolutely. I mean, I love that there because I feel like one of the dominant no- narratives of social media now is that it's bringing us further apart, that it's keeping us in our little silos. But I think that like, I think that's on a very large scale. And I think that there's still on the smaller scale, 
of like actually when you're building human connection and and you're doing that sort of research about someone in in hopes of connecting with them better you know i think that that is what it's like oh right this is a tool and a and a nice thing that we've built we use it for stupid things sometimes but like some of the nice things that you can use it for are still nice yeah i mean of course the internet can do horrible things of course it can but like on the whole i i would never want to go back like i i think oh, it's right yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's just lovely to be able to connect. I, I I feel like ultimately, I don't know. In the way I see the world, I mean, this is oversimplifying things, but I I think a lot of evil come comes from ignorance, mm -hmm. and it's just ignorance. It's people fearing things they don't know or causing harm without realizing that they're causing harm because they don't see the result of it. And um, I feel like that by the internet connecting us to each other's lives more it just lessens that it just turns up the light on everything and so i have a i have a hopeful feeling about it overall i want to return to something you were saying earlier that you turned to other people's plots and suspense do you remember any of the specific books that you were turning to for 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 plot inspiration or 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 uh plot study that you looked into i'm drawing a blank when i think about what i was reading when I wrote King Nix, but right now I'm reading Tana French, as you know, because I mentioned that, and I've, I am taking a lot of notes, like I'm learning a lot about plot from her. So I, I can't remember exactly what I was reading before when I was figuring out the King Nix plot. I did read a lot of, um, I did read a lot of like screenwriting books, mm. like nowadays everybody talk, but like, Back in my day, when I was in graduate school a million years ago, like we really weren't supposed to talk about, like you were not supposed to talk about plot at all. Like mm. it was considered. Oh, passe. Yeah. Like you were like, that's for genre writers. We don't do that. Yeah. For... Haven't we moved beyond plot at this point? Right. Right. Um, one of the, uh, I wouldn't say who it was, but, but but a revered and brilliant teacher at, there at the Iowa Writers Workshop said, the need for plot is evidence that we live in a fallen world. <laughs> they literally said that. <laughs> and this was a brilliant person. I'm not putting this person down at all, but that was the attitude. So, you know, some years after Iowa, I started reading a lot of like, I, I first discovered like Save the Cat, which everybody talks about now, but but when I first discovered it, people weren't talking about it, and um, except screenwriters. But I was like, oh, they talk. They he talks about plot so frankly. Like this is what you do. Like you know, and to to kind of you got to raise the stakes, and then you got to raise the stakes, and you got to have the moment of darkness. Um, so that was one way that I studied plot before I like that. I, I was fascinated with that, and I tried. I tried a lot of different things before King Nix that didn't ultimately work, but I feel like in King Nix, at least, at least it worked enough to, you know, get it, get it published. So right. yeah, right. Exactly. It's an ongoing study. <laughs> and, you know, you brought her up. So, and she's, she's sneaking in. So we should just talk about her. I appreciate you, um, you having me revisit because I read this when it came out, um, which is 10 years ago, by the way. 10 year anniversary of this book coming in august but you um you brought the the secret place by tana french one of the dublin murder squad books although you know that is not a real like series series in that 
it really matters that you read it all in any sort of order. Right. Uh, but and I would say that this one is like one of the like furthest away from their usual sort of uh, murders that they're solving. Um, what what brought the secret place to your desk and what made you want to talk about it? Well, I think you, you probably know a lot more about her than I do. And like, I just discovered her. So that's so cool that you read it when it came out. And you've probably read a lot more of her books. It, it just at the time uh, when you asked, it just was the one I had just finished. So that's why I'm, it's not actually my favorite, but she does such cool things with time. Mm. The, um, what do you mean? Oh, my God. So there's two timelines. And so one of them is the is the the now when and it's told from the first person by the guy who's solving it. I can't remember the main character's name now. Detective. You can just say det detective. It, covers one of them. <laughs> anyway, it takes place in one day. He and he he wants to be on the murder squad. He's not on the murder squad. And he gets a chance to partner up with this person who is on the murder squad and possibly solve this old murder there's mm -hmm. one chance to prove himself and get on the murder squad so it's very high pressure and it takes place in one day they arrive at the school it takes place at a girls boarding school they arrive at the boarding school in the morning it ends at midnight when they drive away mm -hmm. so one day it's told in normal past tense so we walked into the room we did that this we did that then the other timeline is told in third person it's told in the present tense and it takes place over a couple of years, I think. Mm -hmm. And that's the backstory. Like she, that's the backstory. So she weaves this one day present time story in with this longer backstory and they alternate chapters. And um, like backstory is so hard to work with. Like it's yeah. really easy for it to be boring for the reader. Um, so I think it's so fascinating that she she keeps it in the present tense that that's one way of kind of um and then she we know who's murdered chris harper i think is the name and every chapter of the backstory somewhere in the chapter you'll be ambushed by a sentence that says chris harper has three months two weeks and one day left to live mm -hmm. and then the next chapter chris harper has this much time left to live um so I, I don't know. It's just fascinating how she used those two different timelines. And it's like this coming of age novel, a, like a detective novel that's like secretly a, you know, a, a boarding school coming of age novel. Right. Which is a fun like thing to nest together. Like, I don't know how many times detective novels do that. <laughs> that's so true. Yeah, it really. It really is a coming of age novel, a novel about friendship and yeah, what 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 did you like about it? Like, so that's one of the things that stood out for you about it, and yeah, absolutely. And you know, I am, I love campus novels. I love boarding school novels. Uh -huh. um, I I chase them. I I read one or two or like ten a year. It feels like you know, I I always want another one. So this was this when I saw that Tana French was gonna do one, you know, because she'd done some other. I think this was the fourth or fifth one in the series. It was just so exciting because she was going to put that sort of suspense plot work into one of my favorite genres. 
Yeah. So, so I, I really like that. And then on top of that, it's witchy, which I really it's, like. The depiction of magic is fascinating. Yes. There's like actual magic in it, which is really cool. Yeah. Some unexplained, like, I guess that's actually, I mean, there is a, some amount of the, there might be a non-magical reason for this magic. Right. Um, and it's a, that's a line that you also like to walk that, um, there, there might be a reason for this, but it doesn't actually explain everything. Like there's still stuff at the edges that is paranormal or a little strange. Right. Yeah. What, what is your favorite ton of French book? If you've read, you, I'm assuming you've read a few of them probably, right? This one is my favorite. Um, because oh, yeah? it's, because it's so, and it's funny because I read this one and I know I haven't read one since, um, I haven't picked up another one and she, I, I, I feel bad about that because this one is so such a good time and it reminded me that I really, I really like her. So I need to, this is like brought me back on the train. You know, the beauty of books is, uh, it's not like I can't go back and, and, uh, pick up where I left off. Yeah. And still... now that she's like a bunch, there's a bunch more to go. Yeah. How did she cross your desk? Did someone just say she, Oh, you want some plot? Yeah, that very close to that. Um, well, my friend Molly Godry, um, who teaches at Stony Brook, she she and I are like accountability buddies. We're writing writing accountability buddies. So we like for years we've like talked to each other every week on the phone and like how did did you reach your goals this week? What's your goal for next week? You know, what are you what are your challenges? And we talk things through. Good as gold. Good as gold. What a what a great friend to have. Absolutely. Like there's it's you can't even be a writer without having that type of support it's like it's it makes a whole world of difference anyway so i saw she uh she didn't actually mention it to me i i just saw she posted on instagram that she stayed up all night reading in in the woods which is tana french's first book and i was like i i struggle with reading partly just because i have a lot going on mm -hmm. I read at night and then i'm tired and i was like I need a book that can make me stay up all night with its suspense. Like, how do you do that? You know, yeah. that's, uh, and, and I picked it up and it blew me away. Like the way she handled the the plot. And um, so I just, I, I was just like, I need to learn how to do this. Like, yeah. so when I read your books, I just take, I read them on my phone and I take screenshots like, basically of every page and then I like, <laughs> what she's doing that's cool on that page and then I save it and so yeah oh my gosh that I mean how cool is that though like an annotated copy of that looking at the plot that's a that's a fun thing yeah you're basically pirating the novel slowly though as you yeah. as you're, as you're going <laughs> yeah I was reading something at the end of last year um it was in Esquire this writer, Kate Dwyer, was writing about how the boarding school novel and the campus novel as a as a genre is dying um, because apparently the genre doesn't um, isn't recognizable to Gen Z. We've like oh. we like school is different and um, boarding schools themselves are different. Uh, and there, there's way more discussion of money in their current lives than is ever discussed in boarding school novels themselves. And I don't know, it was an interesting, it's an interesting piece. I will link it. Go to so many damn books.com and click on this episode's page. And you'll see that I've linked this um, on there, but 
I don't know how much I, I feel like that's true. I mean, I don't know what people are. I'm still reading all the campus novels, so there's at least one reader. Um, but I, th I, I think it's interesting that the campuses are no longer these insular worlds. Like, that's the big difference. Right. Yeah. Is that like social media again uh, and, and the Internet in general has made these worlds more porous. So they can't be these like little weird universes. Right. Which is one of the things that I really love about the campus novel is that like, you know, you have to learn the the weird way to talk and like, you know, every place has like its own like, oh, you go past the hangman's tree and you turn, you know, like everything has right. its own uh, language of how to get around. And that's all disappearing, um, maybe, accord according to some people that are, are reading. Um, have Do you think that there's anything to this? That's interesting. I... I would be really interested to read that article because um, that hadn't occurred to me, but I mean, it makes sense. What what you're saying makes sense, but I don't know. I, I kind of feel like, I don't want to say it without reading the article, but I kind of don't buy it because I yeah. kind of feel like people will always be creating their insular little worlds in one way or another. It'll be, it'll look different in 2024 than it did in another year, but uh, I feel like that's something people kind of do. And the, you know, the um, the ton of French book we're talking about is kind of shows that like, it's an insular world because it's a boarding school, but the real reason it's an insular world is because these four friends form their own universe, right? Like that's what's weird. Like they have their own rituals, their own things that they do together their own mysterious power as a commute, as a mini community. Right. So like, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't, mm. what do you think? Do you think, it, do you think? I just read two recently published campus novels about the experience of high school in the early zeros. Uh-huh. So Idlewild is one of them. And that takes place, um, in 2002. And then, um, Foster Dade Explores the Cosmos by Nash Jenkins. And that's high school in 2008. Uh-huh. And I think that the, both of those books are totally fascinating. And it's interesting because both of them have a frame narrative where the, the person is excavating some sort of past thing that happened. In Idlewild, it's some it's two people sort of excavating their this friendship now that they're 30 they're looking back at this high school relationship that really mattered to them uh -huh. and then the Nash Jenkins one is it's looking at this sort of guy who is dealing drugs and you're and died on campus or or was taken away um arrested on campus and and this guy is looking at who has his room is looking into like oh what happened there exactly and is telling the story and they're both interesting because there are the zeros I mean I haven't seen that yet so I've, I feel like yeah. It's just going to be different. It's not. Right. It's not that they're gone. It's just that they they really can't be fully their own worlds anymore. But because you have to also address how those worlds get punctured now, but that's right. fine. You know, right. <laughs> like that's just how it. That's just the the work of the modern campus novelist, I guess. But I think that that is. I think it's interesting that the you know, Tana French is like, I'm going to just make it a straight up detective novel. I'm going to take away the pretense. But there's still people who are like, oh, yeah, let's find a different way to 
write a detective novel, I would love for people to tell me what their favorite Tana French books is and, and let, a, let us know, you know, which one to read next. If you write it, you know, if you were a big fan of The Secret Place, like, you know, me, which one should I read next? Because I'd love to return to the world. She's read, written, I think, another five or six. I don't know. I feel like there's like another ton of French all the time, but maybe I'm wrong. No, I think she's very prolific, right? She's I, she's just coming out with another one like this month or next month or something. All right, it's great that you're doing a study of her. I think that's 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 neat that she's like teaching you how to plot. I think that that's fun. Yeah, um, it's really it is so much fun to learn from other writers and just to like. And I think that's one thing I've learned as I got older is like how to learn from other writers. Like I used to just kind of absorb stuff, mm-hmm. but now I think it's a more intentional process. And I'm I can really say like, oh, look what they're doing here, and you know, uh, so that's that's something that's happened to me as I've gotten older as a writer. Do you think teaching has helped that along? Definitely. Yes. Teaching has helped so much uh, because it really forces you to articulate things and, uh, and to, and to help, like to help people figure out how to solve their own writing challenges Mm -hmm. is really helpful in, teaching yourself how to solve your own writing challenges, you know, because it's easier to do it for somebody else. But then if you're able to take that and turn it back to yourself, it's kind of helpful. So, yeah. Right. It's almost like you've got to turn that self into another character that you're like, okay, self, like, what would you tell me to do? Exactly. Yeah, (laughs) That's exactly what it is because like, I don't know if you have like a critical inner voice, but a lot of writers, uh, you know, like when people try to write, there's this constant critical voice, you know, and as a teacher, I would never talk that way to, to somebody I was working with. I would never be. (laughs) That's so mean. Yeah. I want to be a a cheerleading voice and, uh, you know, challenging people, but also just like cheerleading and supporting them. And, um, so I'm trying to replace that inner critical voice with the, cheerleader teacher voice yeah absolutely i mean there's just there are so many damn books so it feels (laughs) crazy to want to make another one but you know also why not yeah why not (laughs) well if it's fun you know and like if you have fun reading something then maybe you could write something that someone else will have fun reading your book so that's a reason to do it you know exactly there's that's, there's no better reason to do it. We should talk recommendations. Uh, we obviously recommend, you know, letting Tana French take you for a ride. Um, but what else has crossed your desk recently that you wanted to, to recommend? Or would you like me uh, to recommend some things first? Oh, you recommend some things first and then I, and I have something after that. Okay. I have two things. I have a I have a novel, and I am going to recommend a a, a new record, an album that I heard. Um, the first, the novel is um, you've probably even heard of it because I think Oprah said something about it. But Wellness by Nathan Hill. Um, I loved the Knicks. I really loved that novel. I thought it was so wonderful. And when I read the um, synopsis of this new book, I kind of got. I admit that I kind of rolled my eyes. I just didn't think that um, this sort of plot was going to matter to me. 
but I still loved the Knicks so much that I decided I wanted to give it just a chance anyway. And oh, I'm so glad I did. It's such a great novel. It's it's as good. If you liked the Knicks, if you liked Nathan Hill's writing style, um, this one is also really fun. It's about um, a modern marriage, basically. Um, and and they have a kid, and and one of them is in the wellness industry, and uh, and the other one is an is an artist, um, teaching artist. And there, it's their different ideas of their lives clashing. And then, so I, I really, it's so fun. And it was just like a big hearted novel and it was a uh -oh. real page turner. And if I, I would say that, like, you know, if you're a, if you're a Jonathan Franzen reader, um, I think go ahead and give Nathan Hill a try. The other thing I want to recommend is an album. It's been such a long time since I've been into an album. I get into songs all the time. You know, I feel like we're in playlist culture and I don't mind it. Like I love grabbing onto just a four minute perfect song. Um, but this band called The Last Dinner Party um, has this album called Prelude to Ecstasy. And it's this big Baroque pop album that just has these soaring vocals and great harmonies and just like really interesting songwriting tactics. And sometimes they sound like you know, Fleetwood Mac, and sometimes they sound like Led Zeppelin, and sometimes they sound like the Dresden Dolls. And it's just like a great, big, big album, big feelings. Band from London. I have not really listened to an entire album from back to front as many times. I feel like I'm in high school with it again. You know, it's it's that level of love for an album, which is that's really so exciting. cool when you feel that way about something. I'm definitely going to check that out. That sounds amazing. So what about you? What recommendations do you have for, for our listeners? Um, let's see. Oh, well, if we're talking about music, the, my, my like, I'm in high school again, music is uh, Ira Starr. Um, I think she was at the Grammys, but I don't remember if she won anything. Um, she's, she's very young. She's like 20 or 21 or something. Um, she's Nigerian, but um, I, I just, I don't know anything about music. Like mm -hmm. I have, no idea like why I like something it just feels so of the moment to me mm. like it's very worldly she sings she just switches from one language to another she sings in like Nigerian English which is different enough from like American English that I there's a lot of it I don't understand like I have to look up a lot of things mm -hmm. um so she sings in Nigerian English French uh Yoruba I think um she just switches back and forth. And the sound is so like, I don't know what I'm hearing, but I'm hearing something so sophisticated and layered. There's a, it's, it's Afro pop, I guess is the category. So there's a lot of African sound in there, but it's just sounds so, um, just so sophisticated and worldly and, but like really fun and uplift. Like all of her songs are like, get your bad vibes away from me. Like <laughs> all my dreams and just like, you know, yeah, she's she's great. I, I like I said, I don't know anything, but I know I know she's good. I'm pretty sure. And then the other thing is a, a book or a writer. Uh, so this is uh, it's Seishi Yokomizo is the author. And um, this particular book is called Death on Gokuman Island. So he's a Japanese writer that um, his books are are in translation um, and they're just being translated now like they've like that one is coming out every year or so oh cool um, he wrote in the 
like just post-war era, like in the middle of the 20th century. And um, so, so all of his books are set in Japan, like after World War II, very much the feeling of the war still present and the trauma of war, which I guess is kind of fascinating. I mean, my, my dad grew up as a refugee in World War II. So I think things that reflect that that trauma in interesting ways have always attracted me. Um, and, but his books are mysteries. Um, he was a mystery writer. He was very prolific. He wrote like 77 novels or something. Whoa. Crazy amount of novels. Um, you can get like eight in English now, I think. Um, and what I like about them is um, they're kind of weird. They're, 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 they're influenced by Western mysteries. Like he loved like Agatha Christie and some other, Western mystery writers. They also have a very distinctly Japanese feel. That's like stuff that I just don't expect at, you know, and, and they have a kind of a folk horror feel. And that's what I really love about them. Like I really, I'm a real sucker for anything that's like folk horror ish. And uh, so there's just a lot of lovely, creepy atmosphere and, and stuff like that uh, in his novels. So Seishi Yokomizo is the author. So I've read a few of his uh, his novels in the past couple of years. Oh, wow. That sounds awesome. I definitely need to check that out. I have, I have a couple life recommendations for the good people that are listening. One of them is to join uh, the So Many Damn Books Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com slash SMDB is how you sign up. Uh, for just a dollar, you can join in on and see all of the, um, I post all the episodes there ad-free. I also post um, special Patreon-only episodes on the Patreon. And I also host a book club that you can join on Zoom. Um, we are reading Nonfiction by Juliet Meyerson next, um, and that is on February 28th. So now is a great time to sh- sign up for this So Many Damn Books Patreon because all sorts of good stuff. And if you sign up now, um, you get a sticker and a bookmark in the mail. Um, and that's even if you're just giving a dollar a month. So sign up for patreon.com slash SMDB. And then my other recommendation is to go by King Nix. Thank you for writing this incredible novel and for Lives of the Monster Dogs, which is one of my absolute favorites. Um, people need to go and check out your oeuvre. Thank you for hanging out. I so appreciate you coming on the show. This was really fun. And I, I, I wrote down everything that you recommended. I have like a little email going next to the Zoom window. So uh, I'm going to check out all the stuff you recommended. And this was so much fun. Thank you so much. Thank you.